Thank you for listening to Fearless LA. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to listen to a life-changing message from our special guest. There ain't no place in LA like Fearless Church. There ain't no place on the West Coast like Fearless Church. Even as I went with Pastor Jeremy last night and he took me to the new building. Who's fired up about the new building? So I walked through that property because I love these two. They are the real deal. We've been family for a long, long time. I'm 32 years old and... (laughs) Okay, I'm 50. Shut up. You pull my pecs up. Now listen. That's what you have to do at 50. You got to go get back up there. We're going to have fire today. But I was with Pastor Jeremy last night. We got to the hotel and I just had to, you know, you have to sail a moment. And I just turned to him and I said, I'm so proud of you. Because I've watched these two as missionaries to the city. And I've watched the team that has hung with them. I've, I've watched his different ones that have been with him for a long time from Josh. I taught Josh how to play the drums. A lot of people don't know that. Do you remember that? Yep. It's when I used to sing with a band worth dying for. And I would sing today, but because it's Pastor Chrissy's birthday, I do not want her to sin and get jealous, so I'm not. But y'all are family. Can we do something real quick? You have no idea where this church is going. It's going to explode and it's going to rock this region. You're about to step into the eighth year, which number eight means new beginnings. And I believe that you have the greatest pastors in America. And I love them and they are family. I'd lay it, I mean, I'd I'd lay it all down for them. They're that real to Karen and I. My beautiful wife, Karen, sends you greetings. She's my gift from the Lord. There she is right there. (laughs) Girls, fine. 29 years I've been her arm candy. Now listen. She sends your love. We've been traveling the last six weeks all over the world. Five continents in the last three months from South Africa to Portugal to Karen seeing thousands touched in the art conference in Tampa and Indiana and different places. And I, when I come here, I come home. And what, you wanna, what I want to say this one thing to you, I believe that honor at all times in your life rolls out the red carpet in your life. Pastor Glenn Berto has been my dearest friend for 20 something years. No matter what, I always honor him because I think in the carpet of honor is keys to the kingdom. But I want to do something real quick. Because I want to show honor to the mom and dad of this house and many houses that will come out of this. You two, you've seen nothing yet. So I walked through that property last night, man, I'm just going, wow. Man, you could feel no religion, but lots of anointing. I leaned over to you a minute ago. They said, there's no religion here. And I love it. Can you give it up for your pastors? Come on. Come on, give it up for them. You may be seated across this house. I'm going to get right into God's word. And I'm so honored to be here. Daniel, if you'll bring me up a couple of the books and posters so I have it up here. And uh, um, I want to get right into this word. Can I speak some things over you today? I've traveled three million miles. Traveled around the world. 
And what you have to understand is, I am a nobody in the kingdom. Because that's who God raises up. Many of you know our, our son and daughter in love, Adrian, and two grandsons, Jack and Andy. You'll see them playing for Alabama someday as quarterbacks, but that's a whole new thing. You'll see it. Yeah, they'll be beating LSU. And so... You saw they were here last week because they were at a conference somewhere here in town and they're like, we need an encounter with God. So where did they come? Right here. You're in the safest church in America. This place will not gossip about you. They will not beat you down. When you fall down, they'll help you up. When you come into this place, they're going to restore your roar. They're going to restore your passion. They're going to restore your vision. So give them a chance to be your church. Tonight, I'm going to be sharing a completely different message. If you feel a call to launch business, four years ago, God said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So I'm preaching about the priestly kings, how to walk in supernatural finances and conquer the land, how to start and launch businesses. I've done it. You should have four streams. Garden of Eden has four streams. That's just a little taste. If you do certain things, God will blow your mind. Any entrepreneurs in the house? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about crazy entrepreneurs. See, of all the books I've written, and I'm getting ready to write the book on the priestly king. It's going to be called Ministrypreneurship. Probably get shot at a lot by church people anyway. But when I wrote the book, Why Is God So Mad At Me? He's not mad at you, he's mad about you. Then it led to I Am Remnant, which went viral around the world. And then I wrote, and where, where, where's... Um, What's the girl that was up here in the blue that was getting prayed over? Pigtails. What's, what's her name? Where's she at? Where's she at? You need to be here tonight. So just clear it. Clear the calendar. There's, there's massive touch in your life. Okay? Vicky, right? Yeah. But I wrote the book, I Am Remnant, and then it led to Karen writing the book, Dehydrated, and then it led to, and all these are on Amazon. You can check them out, but... It led to um, me writing the book Unqualified, how I dealt with depression for years until I danced in the battlefield of Gettysburg. God woke me up one morning and said, if you'll go dance, I'll break depression off you. You got to dance where others have died. What you call a tombstone, God calls a milestone. How to walk. You know who God's raising up is the unqualified. First Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 28 in the Message Bible says, Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called in this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks, exploits, abuses? He chose the nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Then he goes on to say in verse 29, so that no one can glory in their flesh. God uses nobodies, so he gets all the praise. Somebody give him a shout right now. In fact... Pastor Glenn did the forward on that one because at 17 years old, he was at a conference. I was standing at the back door and I was about to quit because I had just started youth pastoring and I hated it. And I'm at this big pastor's conference where everybody just kind of walks around and marks their territory. And it's kind of like David. Remember when David was sitting getting ready to fight Goliath? His own brother looks at him and says, where's those few sheep? You're full of pride. In other words, that was a pastor's conference. Where's your little church? What did David do? I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to fight the giants. You know why? Because he had already killed the lion and the bear. What's the lion? The thing that pounces on you. Be sober, be diligent for the devil your adversary. He seeks to pounce on you. Insecurity and fear. 
Then he'd already killed the bear. What is the bear? The thing that hibernates in your life and only comes out when it's hungry. That's called lust. And the only way to defeat it is play dead. Then you face your Goliath. What is Goliath? His means ravaging spirit, splendor. Then you'll confront the thing that's been marking a generation. Y'all ain't going to preach with me. That's fine. Let's turn the on. Go ahead and turn the ambiance off so they'll help me. Go ahead and turn it off. See, here's the deal. I'm going to preach this morning. So I wrote the book Unqualified, and then we built Rebuilding the Altar. How many of you were here last time I preached about the power of the altar? Somebody say, tie me to the altar. And it led to the book that I'm about to share with you about that Karen and I just wrote, simply called Restore the Roar. See, you have to understand something. Your past is not your prison. It's your university. And what you've been through is a great indication of who you're called to. And there's a moment you begin to realize if God trusts you to go through it, he'll give you the anointing to to minister to it. See, you have to rise up with a holy fire and say, wait a minute, I am not bowing to this thing anymore. It's not holding me back anymore. And what happened with Karen and I was fear came and knocked at our front door. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but I've spoke around the world and I've get ready to go speak on a stage with 20 or 30,000 people or 10 or 20 people. It doesn't matter the size of the crowd. Because I, get, I would be overwhelmed with fear. And I would slip into the back room. And I think I was in Syracuse, New York one time at a, at a stadium. There's about 10,000 kids there. And, and, and in all honesty, worth dying for. Actually might have been with me because we did a lot of events together. But, but I'll never forget sliding out the back door. And I called Karen and said, pray for me. I'm scared to death. And then you put on that ministry mask and you walk out and you look like you got it all together because everybody on stage looks awesome when the light's shining on their armor. But if you get close enough, you'll see where the flaws are. See, God is only going to use the ones that continually stay so low to the ground they can't fall. And what you got to understand is that what I'm about to share with you started as a whisper because Matthew 10, 27 says, what I whisper to you in the dark, you'll proclaim from the rooftops. That's one of my life verses. And there's a moment where you begin to realize. And so let me preach about restore the roar. Let me share this word with you and don't miss tonight because I'm preaching something totally different after I go hang out with Kanye. Boy, I love me some Kanye. You know why I love him? Because he don't care. He don't care what nobody thinks. It is opposite of the church where we run around with image management versus authentic living. And we got the look. And we look like we got it all together and we're going home and our families are quiet and there's death in the house. And I want to be around the places that will simply walk out and say, you know what? We got some stuff. We're dealing with it. We set the traps for the devil like we set traps for rats. And there's a moment where you begin to realize as you're walking through the minefield called life that you can still praise, you can still dance, you can still worship, you can still be married 29 years, and you can confront fear. Are you with me? Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, the wicked flee for no reason when nobody's chasing them. But the godly are as bold as lions. Why in the world would we step up and write this book? Yes, I'm holding it up for you to buy it in the back. <laughs> it's already gone number one on Amazon four times in the last three months in four different places. My God's huge. You know why? Because it's speaking to a felt need. But what's amazing to me is Fearless Church was talking about being fearless long before it became important to write books about it. That's why I love this place. And what you have to understand as I move into this word, I want you to get your Bibles open to Second Chronicles. Because I'm going to share about something. I'm reminded of the opening chapter of this new book, and I'm joking about it. I don't care if you buy it or not. I seriously don't. 
But we get testimonies every single day from all over the world of people saying, I'm no longer having nightmares, or I'm being healed, or this has happened, or that has happened every day. But what's amazing is the opening chapter is called, I didn't want to write this book because what you write about, you'll fight against. And so you have to realize as I move into this word, fear is to hell what faith is the believer. Faith is our weapon. And the enemy knows that the very first emotion felt in the garden was fear. When Adam, God walks up to Adam and he says, hey, Adam, it's me, God. Now, up to that point, God's name was Elohim in the Hebrew. That means big, awesome, all-encompassing, all-powerful creator. But when Adam messed up, God changed his name in the Bible. In the Hebrew, it changed from Elohim to Jehovah. It means father. Because when I mess up, I don't need a big, awesome, powerful God. I need a dad. And he said, hey, Adam, it's me. And he said, why are you hiding from me? He said, because I was afraid. Why do you think when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he said, fear not. It was a restoration of the garden. And what you have to understand as I move into this word, as I begin to share about restoring the roar, why in the world would we call it that? Because I'll explain it in just a moment that God spoke to me a year ago, September, laying in a hotel room after we walked through a cancer battle, after we walked through certain things, he whispered to me and he said, where did your roar go? And I said, God, I don't have a roar. I'll come back to that in a minute. But what you have to understand is when, when we begin to write this book, when we begin to dive into it, and, and I've learned some things, how you handle your greatest fear today will determine how others see God tomorrow. Wow. And there's a moment I'm about to get authentic. There's a moment where you say, God, I'm weary. Reminded of what it says in Psalms chapter 34, verse 17. Yet when holy lovers of God cry out to him with all their hearts. I'm talking about the roar. The Lord will hear them and rescue them from all of their troubles. What are you talking about, Pat? When God began to speak to us, we started looking up where in the world is fear and, uh, and, 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 and how to defeat fear and how to conquer all this. When he spoke to us about this, because what happened was Karen was diagnosed with leukemia. She'd been sick for about six months to a year. We went to all kinds of different types of doctors and rheumatologist, all this crazy stuff. She couldn't move. She was preaching all over the world. She had, we had just written Rebuilding the Altar. And, and all of a sudden, finally, we're sitting in front of an oncologist in Dallas. And the oncologist looks at her and says, Karen, you have leukemia. And Karen looks at him and says, I understand what you're saying. And I read the test results. And I'm looking at my numbers and all that. She said, but please don't ever call, that again. call it that again. He said, why? He's not a believer yet. He's close. He's like pre-almost. And all of a sudden, he, he looks at and Karen says, don't call it that. She said, I get it. I'm not stupid. I'm not crazy. But when my kids bring home a dog we don't want, we don't name it. If you name it, you own it. So we would go in for test after test after test, and the doctor would say, you know why you're here, but I'm not allowed to say it. Until finally... She was getting ready to go speak to 25,000 women in Brazil, and I was getting ready to go speak at a conference. And she's walking on stage to speak to 25,000 women in Brazil, and I'll be there this, I fly there Thanksgiving night for their big youth conference. And as she's walking up the stage, the enemy's whispering, you're a failure, you have no right to preach to these women, you're dying yourself. And she's saying, no. And all of a sudden, God said, I feel your blood. I feel your blood. At the exact same moment in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Spirit of the Lord said, the storm is over. See, what you have to understand is 
what I'm going to preach about in a moment is the two things we confronted, fear and lethargy. Because I've learned it's easier to backslide after the battle. I'll come back to that in a moment. But I'll never forget, Karen flew home. I flew home. We called each other. We're shouting. We're like, God's done this thing. We only we know we're going to go to the doctor. And well, your faith is tested at that moment. But see, there's a difference between faith and trust. Faith is a response to who God is. Trust is a response to our relationship. Some of you have faith, but you don't have trust yet. The best way to have trust is look at the photo album of all the times you should have died, all the times you should have been taken out, all the times you should have been robbed, all the times you should have lost your life. And yet, for some reason, you're still here. See, I want to get to heaven with nothing left to do. I want to walk in and fall down and say, I'm done. And the Bible says you're going to get five different crowns. And the only reason why you haven't died yet is because your head won't fit the crown. It's either too big or too small. But I'll never forget, all of a sudden, we went to the oncologist. We go in, and he's getting ready to do bone marrow. And she said, would you test my blood one more time? And at that exact moment, he, he said, sure. He goes out and tests her blood, comes walking in with a huge smile on his face. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, this is the craziest thing. Your blood is perfect. You are not the same person. I got to get deeper into this. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But all through God's word, there are stories of people that confronted fear. Anyone that was ever great had to face fear first. Fear is the embryo of courage. You cannot have courage till first you have fear. But some of you have been stuck. You've been frozen. You've been waiting. And instead of being a movement, you're a monument to what you should have been. And there's a moment where you begin to realize that I have to rise up. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. It doesn't matter what I've been through. Scars on earth are testimonies in heaven. It's impossible to have compassion without first having pain. And I have come to prophesy over fearless church. I've come to tell you this place is going to explode. God's going to bring in the nobodies. And the devil's going to go no way. And God's going to go Yahweh. And there's a moment where you begin to realize I'm not giving up i'm not quitting if i limp my way into heaven if i dance my way through the minefields of life i'm gonna keep praising you're a little intense i had a really good coffee a minute ago four shots because i'm a little dehydrated but i'm amped about it (laughs) happy birthday to you That's my ADD kicking in. Attention dad disorder. Now watch. There's a moment where you begin to realize you're still here. I've come to speak something to you. All through the word of God, there are key people that were used mightily that started out in fear. Moses, where was he? Hidden as a baby. Because his life came under. If you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you flow with him. All you perfect Christians, exit that way. Because God is raising up the ones that nobody saw coming. The ones with, I was out jogging in Singapore one day and I was, well, I was overweight then, so I wasn't jogging, I was, I was loitering and more like, I think I'm gonna do it. <laughs> nah. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and I said, Lord, I just wanna be the first one that gets to heaven. I wanna, be, I wanna walk in praising. He said, I'm just looking for those with a limp called brokenness, Pat. And I'll never forget, because all through the Word of God, there's stories. And one of the last chapters in the book is, is, is called, If They Can, We Can. And stories of those that overcame that shouldn't have. All you get got to read is Hebrews 11 and 12, and your faith will rise. And you say, but what about those that didn't get healed of cancer? That's in there. It says, some did not receive their miracle on this earth. But I'll never forget, one of my favorite stories is the story of Isaiah. 
how he led to having an encounter with God. In fact, it started first in 2 Chronicles 26. It speaks of the King Uzziah, who was very blessed by the Lord. Everything he did, God blessed. And that's the worst thing that can happen to you because you don't really need God. If you get good at what you're doing, you're dangerous because you'll cut people to stay there. And the minute you're on the front page, you'll be in the obituaries. The Bible says he got full of himself, mighty war machine. He walks in and begins to burn incense on the altar. That was not his place in the Old Testament. There was priest and there was king. In the New Testament, I'll preach about it tonight. You get to be both. Jesus did it. David, did, David showed us that. Acts chapter 2 says it. But the Bible says that all of a sudden he starts burning incense on the altar. And Azariah and 80 other courageous priests, these guys put themselves on the line. They should have died, but they were confronting unfaithfulness because this king was burning incense on the altar. He was not a Levitical, Levitical order. And the Bible says they came in and confronted him. Immediately he gets mad and he gets leprosy on his forehead and ends up living outside, cannot come back to the church. And his own son, Jotham, who took over, the Bible says, never visited the house of God again. Because if you go home having roast pastor for lunch, your kids won't even ever show up. How you treat God determines what the next generation wants from him. But the Bible says that as he's burning incense on the altar, Azariah, and Azariah is the coolest name because it means Yahweh has helped. I wish I had a Bible name. What's your name? Patrick. What does it mean? My God is able. Really? No, I made that up, but it's cool. What's your last name? Shatzlein. What's it mean? There's none like Jehovah. Really? No, it means sweetheart. Anyway, treasure. It really does. I hate traveling through Germany. Because they'll announce over the intercom, would the Shotzi please come up? I'm like, stop it. But the Bible says that all of a sudden, Azariah, whose name means Yahweh, has helped, and 80 other courageous priests confronted him. I love this little story because nobody ever talks about these guys. Because it would lead to Isaiah, the Old Testament upper room experience. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, the cousin of Uzziah. He would go into a bomb shelter that would become a launching pad. But what I love about this story, it's so powerful, is nobody ever mentions Azariah and the 80 other. But it takes an Azariah and the 80 other. It needs, I'm looking for my 80 in this room. What do you mean? 80, the number 80 in the Hebrew is P-E-Y. It's the word for prayer. So you have to understand. So when it says Azariah, Yahweh has helped and 80 other courageous priests. So in other words, Yahweh has helped the prayer warriors. And what would lead to this movement, this encounter that would lead to Isaiah having an encounter with God, all of it started with a group of people that were standing up to culture, standing up to the, to the machine and simply saying, no, I'm not bowing you to anymore. I'm not bowing to perversion. I'm not bowing to your concept of what you think the Bible says. I'm actually going to live in a day and age where truth is a new hate speech and the enemy of truth is silence. I wish that somebody in this place would begin to understand there's a moment where you begin to rise up and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to shut up till I preached up, prayed up declared up why because i'll never forget being in a hotel room last september and holy spirit saying to me where is the roar of my lions see all throughout history every revival has a sound I've studied every revival. The first great awakening in the early 1700s, it was the sound of awakening for America. The second great awakening was the sound of a missionary anointing. It's in the 1800s, the second great awakening launched missionaries in Sunday school. Then there's other revivals that broke out. There's the Welsh revival. I was just in England two weeks ago. It was the sound of 17 teenagers screaming, bend us, Lord. And God would pour out his spirit on that land for 10 years. Then it would come over here and be 
the Azusa Street Revival right here in Los Angeles. It was the sound of tongues of fire. Every revival has a sound. I've been preaching at one revival that God gave me a prophetic word before it started that it was coming to a church that was basically Baptist, hadn't had an altar call in eight years. I called, the, the pastor called me. I gave him a prophetic word. I saw you quit the ministry on Friday. I didn't even know him. I saw you in a dark room. And now it's led to over 11,400 being baptized in water outside of Atlanta. They're coming out. They're flying in from L.A. They're being healed of cancer when they come out of the water. Being set free from demonic sexual things that's the sound of refreshing but there's a sound every revival has a sound i'm reminded of the great revival that it's called the hebrides revival that happened in in the uh in 1949 to 1952 off the coast of scotland where literally it was coal mining areas and it was just taverns and drunks but there was two little ladies named the smith sisters that would pray every day for revival to hit the islands God had given them a prophetic word that he would water the ground. And as they would pray, they'd look out the window and they'd see five, six hundred people underneath the trees outside their little cottage. They were crippled little women. And they would see, they could see five or six hundred standing in the shadows, the silhouettes, hearing their prayers. God would amplify their voices. Till finally they went to their pastor of the little church and they said, God's going to pour out his spirit here in the Hebrides. So he wrote a letter to a young evangelist named Duncan Campbell, who was the big deal. Duncan gets the letter, ignores it. They said, please come to the Hebrides and preach. He ignored it till he's walking on stage in England. Holy Spirit says, leave now and go preach in the Hebrides. Left a crowd before he preached. We'd never do that in America. That'll cost you an offering. He gets to the Hebrides, he gets off the boat. The little church comes to meet him and they said, God's gonna move, we've rented this big building. They went into the building like this and people are sitting there and for two hours, nothing happened, they just sat there. Till finally, Duncan comes up to the pulpit and he says, okay, God's gonna move, he's gotta do something. And he pointed to a young blacksmith on the front row. He said, John, would you stand up and pray? And John stood up and prayed this prayer that would break out in revival for three years where everyone's been saved, shut down the taverns, people were set free, entire families to this day that are liberated, that, that completely set free. And he prayed this prayer, oh God, your honor's at stake and now I challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement and do what you have promised to do. At that exact moment, the glory hit the room. And it went on for three years. One of the greatest revivals in the history. Do you know what John prayed? Because I prayed it every day when Karen was diagnosed with cancer. I would get out of bed and I'd walk through our house because I'm not losing my best friend of 29 years. I'm not losing my sweetheart. And I would walk through the house and I would turn on worship and worship would go through the whole house and on, on Alexa, which that government be listening. And on. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be on the phone with somebody and say, what'd you say? I'm like, shut up, Alexa. You got to do it backwards. Alexa, shut up. Anyway, do you know what he was really praying? He was praying, God, your reputation's at stake. And I would stand up in the morning time and I'd walk outside and I'd say, God, your reputation's at stake. I wonder if there's anybody in this room that is bold enough to stand up and scream that out for L.A. Because if you do, you're releasing a roar in the room. And I'm warning you, don't do it unless you're real. Because the minute you do it, he's going to come into the room. But is there anybody bold enough in this room that will stand up, that's been walking through some stuff, having to fight for your family, fight for your children, fight for your finances, fight for your job? Is there anybody that will stand up and scream, God, your reputation's at stake? Go. Who will stand up? Do it, do it for real. Like, who else will do it?
reputation's at stake. Yeah. God, your reputation is at stake. And then to warn you, when you begin to do this, it releases something. Every prayer you've been praying, it, 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 it like calls God. And why, why would you say your reputation? Because he's promised he will do it. He's promised he'll be in the fire. He's promised he'll walk me through the flood. He's promised he'll be in the valley. He's promised he'll be in the mountain. He's promised he'll be with. Now I'm looking for somebody in this place that believes in the vision of this house that'll say, oh God, your reputation is at stake. And I'll never forget, you may be seated in September of last year. I was getting ready to go to Europe, and I was exhausted, and I was weary, and God said to me, where is the roar of my lions? I sat up in the bed. I said, Lord, what do you mean? I got my phone out, and I began to type what the Lord spoke to me. It would lead to this book, Restore the Roar. But he said, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. They have lost their will to fight. This is what he spoke to me. He said, fear, exhaustion, and culture has taken the roar away. They must be awakened and realize that they are called to be voices of truth that carry freedom in their hearts and fire in their spirits. Restore the roar. Tell my lions to roar again. Immediately, I went to Amos chapter 3, verse 8, where the Bible says, basically, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord who has spoken. Who can prophesy? The reason why we don't have very many prophets in America is because somewhere along the way, the lion lost its roar. See, we know that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We know that 1 Peter 5, 8 says the devil prowls around like a lion. He's not a lion. He's a false one. He's a faker. He's a whisperer. He's scar. I'd like to stop and thank Disney for coming out with the Lion King right when I launched my book. We flowed. Like the cartoon better anyway. But see what you have to understand is the Lord woke me up and I said, Lord, I, I don't have a roar. Because it's after the battle that you tend to backslide. But you know what the restoration of the roar is? I wrote this in the book. It says, it's when his spirit arises once again from the depths of your gut. Where it's been encaged under lock and key by low expectation, a wounded spirit, and a lack of hunger. We've all, it's that treadmill. It's like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm weary, God. I'm exhausted. I traveled the world. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'll never forget when he took me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It says, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by force since the days of John the Baptist. And the violent are the ones who lay hold of it. I looked up the word violent and the word is fierce. And it literally means, the word fierce literally means ready to roar. See, there's a moment where you begin to realize the enemy has been trying to rob you. And I've got to confront two terrorists and I'll be done. Called lethargy and fear, the two terrorists in the body of Christ. Let me talk about fear first because it was the thing that knocked at our door. It was the thing that came up. I thought I was going to lose my wife. Karen was so strong, so bold. She wrote 60% of this book, whereas Rebuilding the Altar, I wrote 60%. She wrote 60% of this one where God began to download her and began to speak some things to her. Can I just say some stuff to you real quick? Are you ready for this? Because tragedy has a trajectory and steals your identity. Some of you look back at your, your past and you need to understand there's a reason why the river mirror is 100 times smaller than the windshield. You're not supposed to drive that way. But you look back at the times where you went through something or somebody did this to you or somebody harmed you or somebody came into your bedroom, somebody tried to take you out, somebody came into the, into, into the place where you should have been safe and the enemy tried to take you out. Do you not understand his number one goal that tragedy has a trajectory and steals your future identity? And there's a moment where you begin to rise up and say, wait a minute, and that's what cancer had done to us. 
God radically healed Karen. It was a miraculous miracle. I did a Facebook Live, and I went to do it in front of the oncology office because no one knew because we hadn't told anybody. All our kids even knew is mom was having tests. Nate only knew about the test, and we couldn't tell anybody, not because we didn't want them to know, but we were standing firm. They, they had an idea, but everyone else, we stayed quiet. You know why? Because I didn't need the whisper of hell. I didn't need the whisper of a negative voice. I didn't need somebody saying, well, hold on, brother. You know, this is going to happen because I'd have had to look at him and say, shut your mouth. Now we're content just to survive. We had lost her voice. I love what Karen wrote. Fear is a learned or perceived aberration that over time you've allowed to become an absolute. This is in the front of the book. Fear is the thief of yesterday's dreams, the intimidator of today's promises, the emasculator of tomorrow's warriors. Fear is courage waiting to be awakened. Now we were living in fear. Fear had never won. I've led two million people to Christ, and now I was living under this cloud of fear. And when fear comes in, it, it, you can't breathe. <gasps> you freeze up. I wrote a chapter on being hidden, how if you've ever had to go and hide, and every, all through the Word of God, anybody that God used had to hide. Moses, David, Jesus. Because fear may have drove you to the hiding place, but it's there that God actually gets you ready for the stage. I'll never forget one day in the middle of this whole thing, God gave Karen three weapons. She woke up, she woke up one morning. She woke up one morning and she said, Lord, I'm scared. And he said, Karen, I gave you the weapons. Second Timothy, for God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. And she said, Lord, I know that verse, but it's not helping me. I don't, wanna, I don't want my grandkids to grow up without me. He said, Karen, I gave you three weapons. We put it on his poster. This saved my life. So she, Karen loves to study, so she started breaking it down, and she went, okay, Lord, I get it. I'll study it. So she started looking up the word power. The word power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. The ability to direct or influence the behavior of others. Walk in miraculous signs and wonders. So he's giving me the power to influence, to change the atmosphere. You're a mobile upper room. When you walk into places, demons ought to be diving out windows. Do you know how many times I'll go to sit down on the plane, and somebody will lean over me and go, what's different about you? I feel something happens to us constantly. I had one guy show up at our house to fix our garage door recently. He walked in our kitchen. He had teardrops tattooed. He had come from Oakland, moved to Dallas. He comes, he fixes our garage door. And he, I said, hang on, bro. Let me, let me go get a check out of my wife's office because she don't let me touch it. That's a whole nother sermon. I go into my wife's office, grab a check to pay him for fixing her garage, and he's standing in my kitchen. You can tell he had a rough past. Tears rolling down his face. I went, you all right? He said, what's in your house? I said, what? What do I feel? Oh, the glory. Want a sandwich? God's given you the power. And then God gave us love. Perfect love casts out all fear. It's the only true definition of an emotion in the Bible is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Then he gave us sophroneo, sound mind. 
So he gave me the ability to change the atmosphere, the ability to walk in a warrior spirit, knowing nothing can harm me. And then he gave me sophroneo, sound mind. What does that mean? A mind that has been delivered, revived, rescued, salvaged, protected, brought into a place of safety, security, that is no longer affected by illogical, unfounded, absurd thoughts. That's what he gave me. Power, love, sound mind. See, there's a moment where you begin to realize you have to quit divorcing God for a mistress called fear. There's a moment where you begin to rise up and you begin to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not giving into this thing. Because fear is the embryo of courage. It's courage waiting to be awakened. There's a moment where you begin to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am not going to live like this anymore. And that's what had happened to us. He literally woke me up. I'm sound asleep. He says to me, where did the roar of my lions go? I said, Lord, I don't even want to know what that means. I had never studied lions. But see, now on the other side of the miracle, the second thing that came into our life to try, and I love what Billy Sunday said. He made a powerful statement. He said, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and lo, nobody was there. But the second thing was that you got to battle with that'll try to take you out is lethargy. And I'm, I'm going to just shoot through this really quick. But you know what lethargy is? It's a settling spirit. It's after the battle you tend to backslide. You get a miracle and then you're like, I don't need God anymore. Some of you have not had your miracle because God can't trust you with your response afterward. How many people have I met? Oh, I wish my husband would get saved. I wish my wife would get saved. They get saved and the, the spouse then backslides afterward. Why? Because they can't handle living with wings because they like their crutches too much. So there's a moment, and that's what had happened to me. God said, where did your roar go? I said, God, I don't have a roar. I'm exhausted. I'm weary. I'm tired. And lethargy brings that settling spirit. You know what it does? I have learned the longer you're away from the presence of God, the more normal you become. And man will try to throw you a rope called settle. But Psalms 42 says, deep calleth unto deep. And there's a moment where you have to rise up and say, I'm not done. He isn't done with me yet. I've got to rise up. I've got to, I've got to do something. I've got to get my identity back. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, I am the righteousness of God. The Bible says, I am Christ's ambassadors. If him, he's making his appeal through me. If he trusts you to go through it, he'll anoint you to minister to it. And what you got to realize is it was on the other side of this that we began to realize. So now all of a sudden we're having all these miracles happen in our services. 18 or 19 miracles in one place. People getting out of wheelchairs, blinded eyes opening, all this stuff we've only prayed for. But you have to walk through hell to come out different. Just ask Jesus. I got to activate some anointing in this room. But why do you call it restore the roar? Because he said to me, where's the roar of my lions? So I started studying the lions. Lions roar for five reasons, and I'll close right here. Lions roar to tell other lions where they are. See, Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'll come back to that in a second. The wicked flee for no reason, but the righteous are as bold as lion. But lions roar to tell other lions where they are. I was just on a safari about three weeks ago in South Africa. I watched these lions. In fact, never plug your phone into the Jeep speaker system and play a roar. They don't like it. I almost threw Daniel to him. Daniel Lions did what? This went Bible on you. Lions roar to tell other lions where they are. To show how big they are. To warn lions, to warn lions from other prides. This is my territory. 
They roar when they're hungry and they roar in the morning and the evening when they're most active. God said, where did the roar of my lions go? I said, Lord, I don't feel like a lion. Five things. They roar to number one to say, this is where I'm at. Fear hates community. Where's your location? Where's your spiritual GPS? What do you mean? Are you saved this? Are you saved on Sunday and act like hell on Monday? What's your, what's your location? The safest place you'll ever be is at the foot of the cross because while you're looking at Jesus, he's looking at the empowerment of the upper room. But see, what you have to realize is there's a moment where you begin to understand. Number one, they roar to declare their location. They're like, I'm right here. Number two, they roar to declare their strength. You are called to be mighty in the land. You are called to rise up. Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked run away with no one is chasing, but we're as bold as lions. We're as bold as lions. Declare his faithfulness once again. Declare, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not going back. Declare your strength. You are stronger than you think. You know why? Because your papa says so. Number three, they roared to say, this is my territory. I'm looking for some people in this room that will get up in the morning time and realize you can say, devil, you can't touch my children. You can't touch my family. You can't touch my finances. You can't touch my health. You can't. Somebody help me preach. Look what it says in Proverbs about the lion. It says, the lion, which is mightiest among the beasts, does not turn back. And then they roar to declare their hunger. What are you hungry for? What are you craving? Are you craving the person beside you? Or are you craving righteousness? A lion will roar when it's hungry. Look what it says in Matthew in the Passion Translation. It says, blessed is the one who craves righteousness. And then lastly, they roar in the morning and the evening. I didn't realize that when Karen was going through her battle, I'd get up early in the morning. And I was worshiping in the morning and the evening. The Bible says in Psalms to praise and thank him for his goodness in the morning and to praise him in the evening. Proclaim your love in the morning and faithfulness at night. I didn't even realize I was doing that. But that's when the lion roars. Every morning and every night, I'd get up and praise him. I don't care if I was on a hotel. I, was, I don't care if I was on an all-night flight. I'd praise him. Which freaks people out, honestly. But I've learned if you put God in the morning and the evening, he'll be right in the middle of your sandwich day. He'll meet you at places. You'll rock around the corner and boom. Wow, I just felt God. Wow, I just felt the Lord. I'm reminded at one point after our miracle happened, when I would get up every morning, I would, I would um, say, Alexa, play Surrounded by Upper Room. The song Surrounded. And it would go through the whole house. One time we were down at the beach. We have a beach place that we go to that we write books. And it's right after the miracle. And all of a sudden, we come in late one night. And nobody's at the ocean at this point. It's a place where God spoke to me four years ago. I'll explain to you about that tonight. But all of a sudden, I walk in. As I walk into the condo, I hear music. I'm like, what? What's going on? Nobody's even at the beach right now. And I walk over and I slide open the glass door. And there's these women out there with tiki torches, which is honestly scareful. I'm like, I didn't do it. Kind of find out it was these women were from a church in Louisiana that I had actually preached at. 
because we posted on Facebook and somebody says, that's my church. But as I heard this music and I slid open the door, you know what I heard suddenly coming through the door into our sixth floor condo? I began to hear. And I just started crying because it was our song that we played. It was two weeks after the, the victory. And I said, Karen, come here. And she said, what? She came out on the balcony. I said, God's giving you a kiss. We win. We won the war. And here's what I want you to do all over this room. Stand with me. See, maybe you don't understand. Because those 80 courageous priests would confront Uzziah, even though they knew they could have died, it would lead to Isaiah having an encounter with God. Because if you'll roar today, the next generation will see his face. What do you mean? They confront Uzziah. He's forced out, gets leprosy. His cousin Isaiah is a 27-year-old prophet. He's like scared now. What's going to happen? My king is dead. But it's when you're coming home from the funeral, you'll see God. Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year my safety valve, in the year my crutch, in the year pride died, I saw God. And the angels were crying holy, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple, and the angels flew to me and touched my lips. It was an upper room experience in the Old Testament. But it started with somebody walking in saying, hey, King, stop it. Stop. Oh, that someone would rise up in this culture and stand up and say, stop it. And I'm not talking politics. I'm not talking about donkeys or elephants here. I'm talking about lambs. The moment where you rise up and say, it's not right to take the life of an unborn child. Oh, we don't want to go there. Why? It's Bible. I don't, I don't really worry about offending anybody because if they'll get offended everything I say, they'll get offended if I don't say anything. So, Can't win. But I will tell you this. In this room, I look around this room and I see greatness. And Isaiah had an encounter with God because somebody walked up and said, Stop. I'm wondering if you'll understand how cool is this? A place that represents life, next door a place that represents death. I wonder if you begin to realize how anointed you are in this place, that God has called you to greatness. But see, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus was the lion that roared. You do understand that Jesus was the fourth tribe of Judah, right? You do understand that the Bible says that Jesus didn't come from the first three tribes. He came from the line of the tribe of Judah. Judah was the fourth tribe, right? What do you mean? Well, the first tribe was led by a guy named Reuben who had incest with his stepmother, so Jesus couldn't come from that tribe. Then the, other, the second two and third tribe was Simeon and Levi. Jesus, their sister got raped, Jesus, uh, and God said, don't avenge her, avenge the, her rape. I'll handle it. They ignored God. So they represent revenge. So you can't, you'll never find Jesus in the tribe of incest and revenge. In other words, you won't find Jesus in a church that only propagates in the house and never goes out and wins souls. 
And you'll never find Jesus in a church that's birthed out of revenge, church split. But you'll find him in the tribe of Judah. Judah means worshipers. So the Bible says in Revelation 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Open the scrolls. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It speaks all the way back in Genesis 39 about that. I can't go into that. But why am I telling you that? Because you need to understand. He was led as the lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah 53, who openeth not his mouth. When he was hanging on the cross, no skin on his body, no clothes on him. At the moment he gave up his breath, it takes breath to roar. At the moment he declared, it is finished. The Bible says in Mark that he cried out in a loud cry. Do you know that when a lion roars, you can hear it five miles away? Do you know that if it's next to your Jeep, it'll shake the bolts? So when Jesus declared it is finished, he wasn't just five miles away. It was 2,000 years later. My father, who was a drug dealer on the streets of Detroit, heard it. It was at that moment my dad flushed $2,000 worth of dope down a commode and set our family free. No one had ever been saved in our family. You're not getting what I'm saying. It was me at 16 years old when I cried out to God, save me. See, the cry is still going out. And the Bible says he cried out in a loud voice. You're not getting it yet. I hear a cry over this house. And when he roared, it was so powerful, it tore a veil, caused an earthquake, and it set humanity free. In fact, when he roared, at the moment he resurrected, dead people popped out of graves. That's actually in the Bible. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, others came out of their graves. Can you see that? Come on, come on. Hey, mom and dad, I'm home. Um, got killed on that boat crash, but something happened the other day. Here's what I want to say to you. I hear a sound over this place. I hear the sound of a roar. I hear the sound of a roar over this place. I hear it. Keep playing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Because that's somebody you don't even realize. God has been standing at the front of your bed doing this. He's been standing at the front of your house doing that. He's been roaring over your children. Roaring over your marriage. Roaring over your finances. He is the lion that roared for me. Give him a shout. Thank you for listening. If you have something you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or to find more information about Fearless LA.